everyone, I'm Miles. And I'm Christine. And this is Uni Life with Canvas Nottingham. If you're new here, Uni Life is a podcast for the students of Nottingham. We hope to join you as you navigate the season. We want this podcast to be valuable, authentic, fun, and a space where we can all figure out life and faith together. Speaking of faith, this week, Miles and I are going to talk about something that is, I would say, quite different to what we have been talking about thus far on the podcast. It is the topic of Bible, and we're going to walk through and do a bit of a Bible overview, which I think um, is going to be really interesting. Woo! <laughs> How do you feel about uh, chatting about this topic, Miles? I'm excited. It should be a good one. It's really interesting. I think a lot of times people have the view the Bible is boring and not relevant, but I think it's actually very interesting with a lot of crazy things that happen in it. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, you know, wanting this podcast to focus on life and faith, uh, I we focused on stories of people's lives and different challenges and uh, journeys that people have been on in the past few episodes. And so I think it'll be cool for us to focus, you know, on a more faith topic this episode. I agree. All right. I'm going to be asking Miles questions today. And you were the obvious person of the two of us to be answering these questions. I think it could be helpful, uh, like to share why that is. Uh, yeah. Um, so after I went to university, um, I went to this place called seminary for four years. And seminary is this place where you study and look at the Bible and have all sorts of uh, teachings about the Old Testament, which is this the first two thirds of the Bible, the New Testament, the last third of the Bible, and then like Theology, which is the study of God, and all these other conversations regarding this. So I studied that for four years, which just gave me a little bit of a framework uh, to enter into some of these conversations. Definitely. Sweet. Well, uh, let's start with, like, why are we going to talk about the Bible today? Why do you think this is important? Uh, I think the Bible is one of the most important books ever written. It is by far the book that's been recreated more often than any other book in the history of humanity. So it seems to have this longevity about it that people from generation to generation find something important in it. And so over time, I think it still has something really important for us today, um, just like it did for people 1500 years ago. Yeah, I agree. I think that's true. And for people listening, you know, maybe they're Christian, maybe they're not Christian. We want this podcast to be for all uni students. So how does this apply to different kind of people, do you think? Yeah, I think the Bible has a little bit of everything. So there's a little bit of violence and war in the Bible. So if if your life is in turmoil, there are plenty of stories of that in uh, the Bible that you can draw parallels to. If you're in a place of desperation and loneliness, there are um, a lot of stories that are very emotional and that you can really relate to in the Bible. And if you're in a place uh, of needing hope because you're in a really hopeless situation, I think the Bible provides and points to the ultimate hope. And so I think regardless of what you're feeling or what you're experiencing, 
there is a tie-in to your life in the Bible. So in other words, regardless of what you believe, the Bible speaks to a wide variety of life circumstances and is applicable to all sorts of people in very different seasons of life. Absolutely. And I believe like regardless of who you are, if you really try to read the Bible like honestly and openly, it will give you something. So uh, even if you don't identify as a Christian, I, I would just say, give it a shot. Like what's the worst thing that can happen if you just read like 20 to 30 pages of a book? Yep. I agree with that. I also think it is a large book. And so imagining somebody who has had no um, interactions with a Bible, has never read a Bible. I think this is a great starting point to just understand kind of big picture what is in the Bible, what is the contents a little bit, um, what's the general makeup of the Bible, and is a great place if you are kind of open to exploring faith or interested for, you know, it's a great place to start. Absolutely. Like just generally, there's 66 books in the Bible. And just to understand it, uh, it's not like all written at one time. The Bible was put together over over a thousand years. So there's traditions passed down from one generation to the next to the next. And those oral traditions eventually started to get written down by people a little bit later on. And so to think through the Bible, it's not like one single author. It's much more like a library with a lot of different authors. And they all have a different point in relation to this one central figure, God. God is the consistent theme throughout the Bible and the experiences of God. And so I think it's really important to view it through that lens instead of how we traditionally think of books. That is really helpful to frame it in that way as we start this conversation. How does the Bible all get started? Like what is where take us take us from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, the Bible begins in this book called Genesis, which is the very first uh, book of the Bible. And at the beginning of Genesis, there's nothing like there's just chaos in the world. And uh, what God does is sort of make order out of this chaos. Uh, it was not anything. And then it became something. And this something was fundamentally good because God is fundamentally good. That is the image we see of God in Genesis 1. And we see that image constantly throughout the rest of the Bible, that this is a good God. And out of this goodness, God creates. And God creates all the things in the world from the fishes in the sea um, to the mosquitoes in the air. All of this stuff is fundamentally good. And then at the end of the creation process, God creates humans. Humans are sort of the last part of the creation puzzle. And the humans are a little bit different than the rest of creation because humans are created in the image of God. And so by that, I just mean like everything was fundamentally good, but we take on a representative nature of who God is. And so we all have a little bit of image of God. Um, and by that, I just mean like a likeness of God. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I love that you said the fish of the sea to the mosquitoes in the air, which I feel like is normally the birds of the air. Yeah, um, I mean, birds, mosquitoes, I mean, we all hate mosquitoes, but they do serve a purpose in the world. Yeah. yeah. So just to recap, 
you know, it started off in chaos. God created some order and it initially was good. And now, um, just like looking around the world right now, like there's so much that's not good. I think we can all agree. And so what happened? What went wrong? That's a fundamental question the Bible tries to answer. And the answer the Bible has is this thing called the fall. The fall is the story of this man named Adam and this woman named Eve. And they were told by God not to eat of this one central tree of the garden. And they disobeyed God and ate that central tree of the garden. And through that, they started to experience a lot of different things. They experienced shame. They experienced brokenness. And what the Bible calls all of these experiences is a thing called sin. And sin is a thing that plagues the rest of the story. It's a thing that all humans experience from the who we perceive to be the worst people of the earth today to the people we perceive as the best people. Sin is a struggle for all of us. And it's the things that sort of are not ideal. It's like the image the Bible does. It's the things we do that miss the mark. So when we like try to like do the right thing, it's like when we're mean to our sibling, when we don't mean to be mean, we're like, why are we saying those things? Or it's when we start comparing ourselves to everybody else in the um, world. Those are all the ramifications of sin in our world. And so we all live in this brokenness, even if we don't try to make the world a worse place or a bad place. We all want to make the world a better place, but we all suffer the ramifications of sin in our life. And we all sin in our own ways and make the world a little bit more chaotic for everybody else. And so you mentioned what was the result for not only like humanity and what we read in the way that Adam and Eve reacted, um, in the Bible, but also like what, how did it impact the relationship between humanity and God? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Uh, basically there was a little bit of a gap, um, between us and God that like in this gap, we choose ourselves, our own idea of how the world should operate. We choose our own mindset and we, a lot of times live in fear in our world. We are like afraid we won't have enough. We are afraid that we aren't enough um, and we don't trust that this God is good and loving and loves for us. And so we choose our own narratives of how the world is instead of who God is. And there's just this gap that humanity has fallen for time and time and time again. And that is like God's central narrative in the rest of the Bible is to try to fix this gap, try to... Um, repair the damage in the relationship between humans and God. And so just to make sure I understand you correctly, the way that the fall and sin impacted humanity and humanity's relationship with God is that it went from humanity I guess trusting in God's way being the best for them to deciding that they were going, humanity was going to decide what was best and be the judge of their own lives. Is yeah. Ba yeah. Basically we decided we wanted a world without God as the center of the world. 
Um, we thought we could do a world better than God could do the world. And it manifests itself in plenty of ways. Like we talked about like the Adam and Eve, they just ate from this tree. But then mm -hmm. their descendants, like one brother killed another brother because they were jealous of the other brother and that the other brother was given a better reward from God. And so these ramifications just magnify and um, happen over and over throughout human history. It's like why wars are fought. Like we are scared that somebody else has resources. So we want to take their resources so we become more powerful. Or it's why um, we are selfish and afraid of the outsider because this outsider might change the dynamics of our community and we don't mm -hmm. like that. And so we just see this on a such a small level in families in a way and such a large level in how nations and the world just operates. Got it. So after this fall that the Bible talks about and sin kind of enters the story, what, where do we go from there? Yeah. Um, so the Bible in the next few chapters just really, um, goes through the stories of how this sin sort of plagues humanity. Like it's just constantly there and just getting in the mess. And ultimately, um, God decides to single out this single people group. Um, they're called the Israelites, like Israel and Palestine, where that's located today. And God started this with this man named Abraham and his wife named Sarah. And basically God from there, promise that I'm going to do something special in your heritage with your line of people that I want to repair this brokenness between all of humanity. And it's going to begin with you. Interesting. So there was a conflict basically between God and humanity. And now God is like trying to work towards the resolution and restoration of this conflict in the story. Absolutely. Like, it's just like, there's that gap of like, God wants to restore that perfect world. And humanity is choosing the less ideal way of sin and brokenness and hurt relationships. And God tries to find solutions to this throughout the Bible. And so God begins this special relationship with the Israelites, because he wants to be, um, he wants these people to be God's special representative to the world. So it's like, if I have a special relationship with you and you see how I really am, then you can show the rest of the world who I really am by how you act and how you treat people and how you love one another. And if it's fundamentally different than how people in the rest of the world operate, people are going to be drawn to that. And there's something different and unique about that. Yeah, definitely. So does that go to plan? When God pursues the Israelites, what happens? So there are some high moments and some low moments in the journey. And so the high moments are like God does reveal himself through the Israelites. We get a clearer picture of who God is. Like we see this time and time again about God wanting to set the Israelites free from slavery. Like eventually they get taken captive by the Egyptians and God wants to free them. Um, at other moments, though, it goes really sideways because the Israelites, while they have this special relationship with God, they're still human. That same problem still exists with them. And they miss the mark time and time and time again. Even the ones that are some of the best people in the history, like this guy named David, who is regarded as like 
the best king of Israel's history. He becomes a person who commits adultery with another man's wife and a murderer. She uh, and murders uh, the woman's husband so he can take her to be his wife. And so this is like one of the good people uh, in the history of Israel uh, is a murderer. Air quotes, right? Good yeah, people, air quotes. air quotes. Yes, but God still uses all these fundamentally broken people who miss the mark in various ways um, to point to who God truly is. So God somehow can still use this adulterer and murderer, just like he uses a thief and earlier in the story to point to, to who really God is. And the God is a person who wants to reconcile broken relationships. And that is a theme seen throughout the first two thirds of the Bible, be it on a small individual basis to the larger world. And God's ultimate goal is to restore all of these broken relationships in the world. Do you think the reason God chose to use broken people who were sinful, missing the mark, who were average people, was because he, he knew that through the transformation in their lives, people would be able to experience something of God through them? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's definitely part of it, that through these broken people, it's not about the people. It's not like you have to have this all together and be this perfect person mm -hmm. who does everything um, by the book. And once you're that person, then God can use you. Instead, it's like, no, this is who God is. So God can use any person alive today to um, help bring about this restoration. So it's so, more about the willingness than it is about the person being equipped as an individual. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like a lot of these people were super unqualified. They're not the people you would expect that went to the best university of their day. The people who have all the check marks that you would expect to be like, oh, you're the ideal candidate. Instead, God chooses the people who are sometimes the least likely or at the lowest places of society to bring about these words. That's awesome. So I think that's an encouragement just for anyone listening and maybe a misconception that some people who, you know, are listening who don't know much about the Bible or haven't read it before is just knowing that God is in the business of using and welcoming and working through any kind of person, like nothing disqualifies you from being included in the story of God. Yeah. And to highlight something we're going to touch base on, like the first two thirds of the Bible highlights that over and over again. And when we get to the final one third of the Bible, the New Testament, which talks about the this person named Jesus, it begins by reiterating that entire history. The first chapter in the New Testament is a history of all these broken people that bring about this person called Jesus. So like none of these people were the best of their time. They all had flaws and some of their flaws were really hideous that we would be like, that isn't a person I would want to spend time with and God can still use them. Wow. It's good.
So you've kind of hinted at this guy, Jesus, but right now we're still kind of in the, the midst of the muck. So what happens? How does this story get better? Jesus is like the fundamentally thing, fundamental thing that changes Christianity from other religions. What Christians believe is that Jesus is the fullness of who God is. Um, Jesus is, quote unquote, the son of God. And by that, I mean, Jesus was fully human, but also fully God. How can that be? It's a mystery. We don't have the perfect solution. But that is what like a little bit of the mystery of the Christian faith is about, that human uh, Christians believe that both of these things are true. And because that is true, God became human in order to become like us. And so God knows the full human experience. God understands our human emotions. God, experience, God understands sadness. In Jesus's life, it's believed that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, died. Um, he also probably got mocked by a lot of people. Um, he was a carpenter in his youth. He he was just a very ordinary person for the first 30 years of his life. And a lot of things just happened. And then he went through this process of um, going into public ministry. Wow. Sounds very interesting. So what was the purpose of his life beyond just experiencing what it's like to be human, what was the purpose of it and how was that fulfilled? God wanted to bring that ultimate restoration towards all of humanity. And this was achieved by God giving himself. God became as a human. And so through Jesus, we see the ultimate way to be human. So how Jesus treated and loved people on earth is our example of how we should love and treat other peoples as humans. So in the Old Testament, which we talked about earlier, time and time again, we see all these flawed people who are used to point towards God and all these things. With Jesus, we get the example of what we should be as humans. This is the ultimate example of a person as the best example of a person. We see a person who loves people well, who loves people, the outsiders well, who cares about justice, who cares about the poor, who cares about injustice in the world, while at the same time, like, still cares about truth and still cares about, like, hey, there is a right way of doing things. I can't just take shortcuts and hurt other people, even if it's for my own benefit. So Jesus is the perfect um, meshing of all these things. And a few times you've mentioned the Old Testament and the New Testament. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the Old Testament is the part of the library or the collection of books pre-Jesus arriving on the scene, correct? Yes. And New Testament is like starts basically with Jesus. Yeah. So the Old Testament's the first two thirds of the Bible, and it just highlights this nation called Israel. Who is this God? And then the second um, or the last third of the Bible is about Jesus. The first four books are about Jesus. And then the rest of the New Testament are the Jesus's followers trying to make sense of what it means to follow Jesus in their lives. Mm-hmm. So you talked about Jesus being both God and man. Yes. And I think you explained a good bit of the char- his human characteristics. like 
you know, what he did as a carpenter and things like that. How did people begin to know or what were some things that he did that made people begin to discover the fact that he was God in human form? Yeah. um, So Jesus began this public ministry. So for the first 30 years of his life, we don't know much about Jesus. There's only a few stories written about his childhood in the Bible. Instead, at around 30, um, it begins with him getting baptized, and then Jesus starts doing all these signs or miracles. So Jesus starts like feeding 5,000 people with like five loaves of uh, bread and two fish. Um, Jesus starts to heal sick people. Um, Jesus begins to like even raise this dead guy back to life. All of these crazy things are starting to go on in Jesus's life. And while all these people see these miracles, more and more people are intrigued and start to figure out like, what is going on with this guy? What is going on? And when more and more people are um, intrigued, Jesus then starts to start to give like monologues, I guess, for lack of a better word, about who he truly is and who God truly is. And some of those monologues really, I guess, offended people because they weren't the monologues of what they expected Jesus to be or who God to be. Like God really cared about the poor outsider. Like God cared about this person with leprosy and sick and and who was sick. God wasn't this military leader who is going to overthrow the oppressive Roman Empire. Instead, like God was this peaceful, resilient resistor who cared about the least of these in society. And so some of the people who were in places of authority or power in that society did not like that message. So what I hear you saying is, what people's expectation of Jesus was and who he showed himself to be were two different things. Absolutely. And when um, people have unmet expectations, there can be a lot of emotions with that. And people really struggled with that emotions. So like it was really good news for the people who weren't doing great in that society. Those people are like, this is good news for me. Like I am welcome in God's presence even though I'm low class and low dignity, or I am cast aside and I don't have a place here. But the people who had more authority in that society or more well-respected were felt threatened. They thought they had a special place or a special power position. And they didn't really like that that um, special position was threatened by Jesus. Because he started to prioritize the people who had been suppressed and ignored and looked down upon, correct? Oh, absolutely. So like some, it looked different for different people. So like there was the religious leaders who were like, hey, I had this special um, way of telling people about God that made me feel special. And like I had a place in this society. Then the political leaders were like, hey, um, this is threatening in our status quo of today. That's a problem. I I like the status quo. And so all these different people uh, that had some power in the society felt threatened by Jesus's message that included everybody. I see. And so what happened next in Jesus's life? So this led to a dramatic change of events. 
um, Jesus was declaring himself as God's son, God's Messiah. Um, and when this happens, uh, those people who felt threatened decided Jesus needed to die. Because if we can't convince him to uh, fit our image of what he's supposed to be like, we have to kill him. And so Jesus is sentenced to death by the Roman officials of his day. And uh, they parade false witnesses. Nobody can make sense of it. And Jesus, they ask Jesus, so is this true? And Jesus says, yeah, I'm the son of God. And they're like, we need to kill him for saying that sort of thing. And they go through a public execution where he's put on a cross and killed. He's mocked by people. Um, he's stripped naked. Like they, they gamble over his clothing. Um, his friends betray him because they're afraid if they say, I'm with Jesus, I'm going to die as well. He spit upon he is t brutally tortured. It is one of the like least humane things um, that could have happened to a person. And it all happened to Jesus um, and while his mother was watching. Wow. And Christians believe that that's something that God allowed to happen, correct? Yes. It's like one of those like great mysteries of Christian faith of like, if God could fix all the problems in the world, why would God allow this? And um, there are many different explorations in Christian history, but something fundamentally changes on the cross where Jesus takes that shame, that pain, that hurt, that ha have built up from generations and that will continue on for generations. And Jesus takes it upon himself. And in that pain, Jesus takes our place, for lack of a better words, and like takes that all upon us. So we don't have to live in that pain and that shame and that guilt anymore. Instead, Jesus was like this atoning sacrifice. And it there's many different images and explanations for exactly what happens on the cross. But just something fundamentally changes um, by the death of Jesus on that cross. And that's what restores the relationship between God and humanity, which had been broken during the fall in Genesis, right? Yeah, it's like something fundamentally forever changed in that moment where um, it's changed by the death of Jesus. And then three days later, this is the fun part of the story, Jesus rises. So he is no longer dead, but alive. And this is the fundamental narrative of Christianity is that all that shame, all that death, all that sin got conquered and was left in the grave. And instead, Jesus rises as a full human again, not as just like this spiritual animal or as some mystique idea, but instead as a full human, this physical resurrection of Jesus as a full human um, changed the entire ballgame. That meant that sin and death didn't have the final say. Instead, there was something more powerful than that, Jesus. That is the best part of the story, I think. Um, so what happens after that? Because you'd think that that you know, doesn't get any more interesting than rising from the dead, but there's still more, isn't there? Yeah, and I mean, that's the, the great news. It's, that is fundamentally good news, is that like sin and death don't have the final say. Mm -hmm. And if that is true, like if Jesus really did rise from the grave, like nothing else is the same in the course of human history. 
And that is what Christians truly believe, is that nothing else is the same, that nothing else will have the final say. So I know there's a lot of pain in the world right now. So what Jesus's resurrection means is the pain of COVID-19 is very real. There are millions potentially who can die when this is all said and done. That does not have the final say. Um, There are millions who are struggling with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. That does not have the final say. Um, There are many people who have been wronged in very abusive ways. And the good news is that isn't the final end of the story. There is something more powerful than all of those things in the world. And that is Jesus. And because of that truth, that has changed the course of human history. Because the people who are following this man, Jesus, dedicated their entire lives to spreading this message to the rest of the world. And so that's what we see in the rest of the Bible, is that this message gets spread far and wide by these people from this guy named Paul to this guy named Peter. They do this in many different ways, in many different contexts. Um, And they're trying to figure out what it looks like in their communities and in their world to follow this man named Jesus faithfully. And we're still humans in that. We aren't, we're fundamentally good, but there's still that brokenness inside of us. So you see that in a lot of these letters written in the New Testament, that they're, they're arguing about some of these small petty things, but we sort of struggle with that as humans. Like we get caught up in the little details of life and miss the big picture a lot of times. And so I actually find a lot of the New Testament arguments very refreshing and um, um, relatable in a lot of ways to our lives. Because think about how many times we get caught in the weeds with the people we love most in our lives. Some of the dumbest arguments and most hurtful things we say are about the pettiest things in our lives instead of like having the big things that are talked about. And so that's what a lot of the New Testament um writers try to figure out is what does it mean to be people of different um, sexes or people of different um, ethnic backgrounds to follow Jesus? And how do our identities fit into this larger narrative of what God is doing in the world? And it's complicated and messy. And that is what we've been trying to figure out as Christians for the past 2000 years. Yeah, that's right. I think Something that is said a lot of times at the church that you and I go to, Miles, is that as Christians, we focus on knowing more about Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, and making an effort to do more of the things that he did in the way that he lived his life. And so how does the story end? Because every good story has an ending, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the best way to look through the Bible is a five act play. So like we talked about like act one being like the creation part, like how did we begin as humans? Act two is like this fall part where we're sort of like working through like, oh, this got messy pretty quickly. Act three is the rest of the Old Testament where God starts to reveal who God is um, through these people, the Israelites. Act four is this person, Jesus, coming into the world. And act five is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. If we're in a five-act play, we're at the very end of this play, like right now. 
Like the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus means all those bad things will never win again. They are having these small battles that are still ongoing. So we're still have evil in the world. So I'm not going to say that things are perfect and they're not. Just look around the world. Bad things are happening, but they don't have the final say. And so we're still waiting for the end of the story to finally be written. And the end of the story is this book called Revelation, which is the final book of the Bible, which is also a very complicated book. So it, it, I don't recommend if you've never read the Bible, do not start with Revelation. There is a lot of allegory and references to a lot of things going on. It is a very messy book that people interpret very wrongly to say a lot of wrong things. Um, but at the end of it, it has this beautiful picture of a new heaven and a new earth. And by that, it is referencing back to the Genesis 1, which is what we talked about at the very beginning, where there's peace and harmony and everything is in order and in good nature and in loving relationship with God. And the world is moving to that place. And it might not look like it day in and day out. At times it may look chaotic. and At times it will look really messy. But at some day, we believe as Christians that Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, all of the pain, all of the suffering will forever be eradicated. And that will be the picture, is to live in this perfect world. Yes, I completely agree. And so when you say, you know, certain things in our lives or that we're observing in other people's lives or just the brokenness we see in the world doesn't have the final say, what you're saying is that it's not the end of the story, even though the Bible is not getting added to anymore. This story that God is writing in relation to humanity and the complete restoration um, is yet to come. Yeah, 100%. Like, the best metaphor I've ever heard describe this is imagine a war. Um, the war is won, but there's still individual battles taking place. And you've seen this tons of times through the wars of history. Like, the central figure might have already won, but there's still, like, those battles happening across the battlefront. And um, eventually, all those battles will cease to exist and everything will come into order. So we see glimpses of this, of God having everything in order and everything in control. And that those moments are great. What we describe that as like the kingdom of God is here now and it's perfect and it's great. And a lot of times it's just moments. It could be this moment where you're just sitting with your family and everything just feels right. And you just have this moment of like, this is fundamentally good. Or it could be when you see somebody healed from a disease. It could be like when you see like, man, that was a miracle. And somebody like who wasn't supposed to survive cancer, survived cancer. And you're like, that is fundamentally good. But it's not fully here yet. And that not yet are all the pain and suffering we still see in the world. And so both are true at the same time. Yeah. And as Christians, when we talk about hope, what we're talking about is the fact that we've tasted a bit of that goodness in the here and now in those moments. And also we have this anticipation of experiencing a world where that goodness is everywhere at all times. There is no brokenness anymore. Exactly. And that is the good news. Like I think people 
like if I could clear up one misconception about Christianity, a lot of people who don't know much about Christianity or even some people within Christianity focus on like it's negative or like God is angry and all these things. And I just disagree with a lot of those misconceptions because I think this is fundamentally good news that like all the pain and suffering that we are experiencing, we believe that there will be a day when none of that exists anymore. And it doesn't negate the now. So true. So earlier you briefly mentioned that you didn't think Revelation was a good book to start in for somebody who hasn't read any or much of the Bible. I would agree. For people listening who are interested in maybe having an experience of or giving it a go, reading the Bible, where would you recommend they start in the library of books? Um, I would recommend one of the four biographies of Jesus. They're called the Gospels. They're about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. And they're Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And of those four, I would either begin with Mark or John. Those are two of the shorter ones and a little bit easier to understand what's going on. Um, And so I would read those four biographies of Jesus before I read anything else in the Bible. And I would also talk to somebody else while reading it. So like the entire part of the Bible, it is full of wisdom and truth. And I think reading it by yourself is great. But also talking about it with other people is a central part of the Bible because we're not supposed to do this by ourselves. I completely agree. So as per usual on the podcast, we end each episode asking five questions. And Miles and I have both answered these already. And so we thought it would be fun for you guys to briefly hear from the behind the scenes tech man, Matt. And so we're going to ask him these five questions as we close. You ready, Matt? Yeah, let's do it. All right, finish this phrase. Community is? Uh, I think for me, community is a place where um, you can belong and be loved uh, for who you are, where you don't have to pretend to be something you're not or, um, you know, maybe um, hide certain parts of yourself that you didn't don't think will go over well, but where mm-hmm. you can be your full true self uh, and be loved for that. It's good. What is your favorite takeaway? Um, so I think the, the true answer is pizza, but that was the answer last week. Um, so I may branch out a little bit uh, and go with uh, fish and chips. Ooh, nice. Which I think has also been an answer, but not last week. There's only so many kinds of, of takeaway. That's true. You can still say pizza. I mean, if that's your true answer, then. Okay, I'm gonna say, I'll say pizza then. Great. Where would you choose to get pizza from in Knott's if you're going to get takeaway? So my favorite pizza in Knott's is this place called Oscar and Rosie's. Come on. Um, they don't always do takeaway. They've started doing more takeaway since uh, the lockdown, actually, which you know has been nice. Uh, mm-hmm. but they're like a, a one-minute walk from my apartment, and so I'm a big fan. Nice. What are you currently binging and loving? So I'm actually very excited about this. Uh, This is my favorite television show ever. uh, And for almost three years now, uh, it has not been available here in the UK. But all four finally just added The West Wing. Um, I love it so much. We've been binging it. Just finished season two. Uh, It's just so good. It's just so well written. 
the dialogue is great and it's like it's about good people um you know it's about people doing their best to solve hard problems and make people's lives better uh which i just i just love it makes and me where, warm and fuzzy nice where can you stream it all four all four noted what's something that you are grateful for in the midst of this season uh, I think something I've really enjoyed uh, is, I mean, this is, it's simple, but uh, just like being, as in the season of working from home, um, my wife and I get to just like sit and eat lunch together every day um, and talk about um, how's your day going? You know, how are your, how are your coworkers doing? Uh, and, you know, it used to be, we, we obviously went to work like normal. Um, and so we didn't get to do that. And so it's been really cool to, be in our in our flat and just be able to sit down and have lunch together. That's very sweet, and I feel like everyone listening is going to be like, "Aww." Yeah. All right. Final question: Would you rather? I feel like this is a very 2020. Would you rather question? Um, let's see if you can get the connection. Would you rather lose your sense of taste or your sense of smell? Uh, hopefully, neither. Yeah, because that would mean you probably have COVID. Well, that's the thing. If it's if I if that happens because I have COVID, then theoretically I would get over it and then be able to smell again someday. Versus this hypothetical like permanent loss, that would be that, bad. That's true. Um. Well, I've heard that uh, like a big percentage of our perception of taste actually comes from smell, and so that people who for whatever reason do lose their sense of smell end up losing most of their sense of taste anyways. Um, so if that's true, then I would say taste, because then maybe I could still smell things. Um, that's a, sounds like a wise choice. But it does make me really sad to lose my sense of taste. Mm, good thing this is just a hypothetical situation. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thanks so much for answering our five rapid fire questions, Matt. Sure. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I can't tell you how much we appreciate you all joining us in this podcast journey that we've been on for the last couple of months. If you have thoughts or questions in regards to what Miles and I chatted about today or anything regarding the podcast, we would love to hear from you. Just go ahead and shoot us an email. Our email address is unilife at canvashouse.org. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook. We recommend subscribing to the podcast so that you know when new episodes are coming out. Last but not least, we are also having a discussion about the podcast each week on Zoom. This is something new that we're adding. In the past, we have had opportunity for all of us together and discuss different talks at Canvas in person. But now that we're living in a Zoom world, we're hosting the podcast discussion on Zoom. That takes place on Thursday afternoons, currently around lunchtime. We would love for you to join us. So check out social media for more details. And we hope to see you there. Bye. Bye.